In the beginning was the Word, writes St. John, kicking off his little Jesus biography with a bang. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory Glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. It might be the most preposterous hypothesis in the history of religious conjecture. No other religion ever dared to submit anything so outlandish that the creator of all the burning suns and spinning worlds, the eccentric dramatist, who through this whole furred, finned, feathered, four-footed, floral, fawned miscellany of microbes, maples, moths, mice, moose, mastodons, mules, marsupials, mastiffs, monkeys, and methodists, across the cosmic stage in the first place, came crawling into time at a stable in a tiny town of Bethlehem, far from Caesar's lofty throne, with the soft and unfinished features of a human infant, a skull still translucent, and nothing to his name but the rags on his body and the milk in his mother's breast. At Bethlehem, eternity is birthed into time, spirit shrugs a robe of human flesh and blood and bone and sinew over its shoulders. God had a name. God had a face, and it was his. A rumor of illegitimacy prefaced his arrival. When he was born, his parents were on the road, far from home, and there was no room for him in the inn. Delivered under, under the soft, indifferent gaze of cattle and sheep, he was wrapped in rags and laid on hay in a feeding trough. His first worshipers were Bethlehem shepherds, the spurned outcasts of Palestinian society, and his last were a condemned criminal on a cross and the Roman centurion who did the crucifying. God had a name. God had a face. God showed up. When God wanted to communicate with humanity most definitively, God didn't send a book. God came in person. God had tried multiple other ways of getting God's point across. God had tried speaking from afar to Father Abraham. Go west, young man, he said. Go west. That didn't work. God tried wrestling with Abraham's grandson Jacob at the Jabbok Brook. That didn't work. God carved crude characters into stone tablets for Moses at Sinai and danced with David before the Ark of the Covenant. That didn't work. God gave shocking oracle, oracles to brassy prophets and then kosher codes and Sabbath laws and cryptic rituals to scribes and chief priests and Pharisees. That didn't work. And so like President Obama with his Cuban foreign policy, God decides that when you've tried the same thing year after year after year and it doesn't work, it never works, it's time to try something new. And like the people of Cuba who won the lottery when the president changed his mind, so did we when God changed God's mind. So God shows up in person. God didn't just phone it in. I love that phrase. He phoned it in. Sometimes you say, she mailed it in. 
That's what they say when a Hollywood megastar like Matthew McConaughey or Reese Witherspoon between critically acclaimed Oscar-worthy roles in huge, expensive blockbuster films like Interstellar or Wild takes a break and shows up, sort of, in a cheap, modest rom-com with a listless, indifferent, barely-there performance. He phoned it in. Now, how can you kiss Jennifer Lopez and make it look like a chore? He phoned it in, says the film critic. Or the New England Patriots, who will probably phone in their football game against Buffalo this Sunday because they've already clinched a first-round bye and home field advantage for the playoffs. So they'll probably bench Tom Brady so he doesn't get a concussion before the playoffs, and they might let Rob Gronkowski sleepwalk through a few lazy pass routes without trying very hard. They'll phone it in. A. Scott Berg recently wrote this wonderful biography of Woodrow Wilson, President of the United States, 1913 through 1921. I love Woody. He eventually won World War I after a valiant attempt to keep America out of it. He finally got women the right to vote with the 19th Amendment. Before that, he was governor of New Jersey. Before that, he was the most popular teacher at and then president of the College of New Jersey, which essentially became Princeton University on his watch. And the best thing of all, most important of all, Thomas Woodrow Wilson was a Presbyterian preacher's kid. I love Presbyterian preacher's kids. Look at this adorable one over here. Did you know that Woodrow Wilson was the first American president since John Adams in 1801 to deliver the State of the Union address in person? The Constitution of the United States requires the president to give Congress an occasional appraisal of the State of the Union. And since 1801, for 112 years old, the president had phoned in the State of the Union address by giving it to a clerk to read. He never even bothered to show up. It was Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States, who began this practice. Jefferson always said that he didn't want to deliver the speech in person because he didn't want it to sound like a fiat of a British monarch. But in reality, President Jefferson didn't want to make the speech in person because he was such a wretched public orator. So, for 112 years, the President of the United States, the potentate of the realm, phoned in the State of the Union address. And then Woodrow Wilson convenes both houses of Congress and shows up in person. Republicans and Democrats alike were horrified. A Republican from Kentucky said if Mr. Wilson comes to the Capitol to influence legislation, he will be as foolish as the donkey who swam the river to get a drink of water. And a Democrat from Mississippi said that the whole escapade seemed to him like a return to the pomposities and cavalcadings of the British throne. Still, he showed up, drove that mile and a half from the White House to the Capitol. And when he arrived, when he arrived, he said he wanted Congress to know that the President of the United States was not a department of the government, but a person just wishing to work with other people in the service of the land. His speech lasted nine minutes, or almost exactly as long as this sermon. And when he was finished, he was met with thunderous applause.
Can you imagine that? The potentate of the principalities, the emperor of the earth, the royalty of the realm shows up in person for the vital message. And that's exactly what happened at Bethlehem that first Christmas so long ago. God showed up in person. God had a face. God had a name. And it was Jesus because he will save his people from themselves. As the choir sang it just a moment ago, this is the truth sent from above, the truth of God, the God of love. For we were heirs to endless woes till God the Lord did interpose, for so a promise soon did run that he'd redeem us with a son. And at this season of the year, our blessed Redeemer did appear. He here did live and here did preach and many thousands he did teach. He showed us what divinity was like and he showed us what humanity should be like as well. And so maybe some Christmas Eve before it's too late, we will wake up and realize what lavish benedictions we've all received. So greatly graced, maybe one day we will become gracious. So greatly loved, maybe one day we will greatly love and greatly live. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.